0: Welcome to the Real Self University podcast. I'm Eva Shea, your host and director of practice development at Real Self. Today's episode features Real Self CEO and founder Tom Seary standing in for me as host. And our special guest is the Real Self head of digital marketing, Mark Sandritter, who's the secret weapon and mastermind behind the explosive growth of the Real Self Instagram account, taking it from just 5,000 followers to 200,000 followers in under two years you'll find that driving this kind of social media growth isn't a secret and that Mark's practical approach to drive engagement and growth through great content can be done by anyone. Don't forget to follow Real Self and Real Self Doctor Community on Instagram. And if you want even more of Mark's expertise, you can find us over on Real Self University at university.realself.com.
1: My guest today is Mark Sandroeder. Thank you for joining us, Mark.
2: Yeah, thanks for having
1: me. Tell me a little bit about yourself, your background.
2: Yeah. So I started in media. So most of my background's in media, kind of focusing on the content side and then shifting into audience development. So primarily social and then all these other channels.
1: Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're throwing down terms that what does audience development mean?
2: Audience development in the simple term is how do you get people to engage with your content or your website?
1: Okay. And you've seen that at scale. Where where were you working prior?
2: So prior to real stuff, I came from Vox Media, which is all of the Vox Verticals, Vox.com. I worked at SP Nation. And so we grew that into one of the five largest sports online verticals, I think is how they describe it in the fancy, sort of speak.
1: Yeah. So did you have bias? You, you Certain teams you hated and you made sure it didn't show up on the...
2: <laughs> By the end of it, so, I mean, I worked in sports media for like 10 years, starting with ESPN and then on to Vox. By the end of it, I didn't care about any of it. I just wanted a good result so there was actually like good content to create. Didn't care what team won, what player won, none of that. Just give me something, a good story, really.
1: Super. What did you learn from your past work there that you've carried over to real self? What, what are some of the things? It might be one thing or many things. I think
2: the biggest thing that Vox does that I picked up and then have kind of brought over is just the audience matters more than anything. And what I mean by that is you really have to focus on what they want. Like our motto there was understand what your audience wants and then make the very best version of that. So our content wasn't like, we're going to create content we think is great and you're going to like it. It's what do you want to like? And then let's give you the best version of that possible.
1: Okay, so example being...
2: I mean, I think a good example is how we've applied that to... Real self and especially on Instagram. When I came over, Instagram, real self Instagram was a little less than five thousand followers.
1: That's not impressive to you?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> I was coming from accounts that were seven figures and then we had four thousand followers. Okay. I was like, okay. All right. And it was like a mix of dog photos, employee photos, your birthday photos. That was very hey, hey. very My popular birthday's content.
1: Are, <laughs> birthdays are very important.
2: <laughs> and we started looking at it and I did kind of a deep dive and found like, hey. Actual before and afters and actual treatment videos perform way better than any of this other stuff. Why don't we do that more? It was like we understood what the audience wanted, right? It wasn't us just saying like, "Oh, there's this funny thing in the office day. Let's take a photo of it." It was like our audience is looking for this. Let's create the very best version of that. And now, two hundred and twenty thousand followers later, it seems to be working at a decent rate so far.
1: Do you now think of real self as a social media influencer? Like, where do you put the current status? and the kind of level of data you have that's accessible to you every day.
2: Yeah, I think the simple way to define that is when we started, our monthly reach was in the four to five figure range on Instagram. Like a good month might've been like 50,000 reach Mm. across Instagram. And last month it was like four and a half million. And so if you think about just how many more people are seeing the content that we create and the doctors that we feature and just the transparency that we bring, is massive in scale. It's, you know, thousands of times thousands X versus what it was when we started. So I think that's the biggest thing is that we have grown from just one of many to one of the key, most influential voices on social, obviously realself.com. But then on Instagram, the people who look at the content that we feature are finding us as one of the top five, 10 accounts for sure.
1: So you've used the term we quite often, and I appreciate that. But it's not just you i assume there's a team of people who come together to make things happen social media doesn't come for free it's not a free lunch so to speak yeah what kind of resourcing do you have behind you to make this type of growth happen
2: yeah so i'm really lucky to have a very strong team not only on the marketing team and real stuff as a whole but then social team specifically so there's myself and two others who spend their time developing content ideas, creating content, working with doctors to create better content, posting content, auditing accounts, understanding our audience. I mean, our team sends thousands of DMs every year, interacting with consumers directly who are asking us questions, asking us how to find doctors, really interacting with all of them. So we have a, I'm very lucky to have a very good team, but there are three of us focused full-time on just social media.
1: Yeah, so the reason I brought that up is for the doctors who are listening to this podcast they're probably wondering, well, am I doing enough? Am I investing enough? So I just wanted to get that up to the surface, which is, is it possible to do it as a solo one-person activity or do you need a team behind you or more resourcing than the individual will allow to have that sort of breakthrough you're describing earlier?
2: Yeah, I think, so I've talked to a lot of doctors and to kind of understand what staff they use. I think the ones that struggle are the ones who, you know, are trying to do it themselves. I think that's almost impossible Some will have dedicated social teams or a person in the office. Others will split duties between people. I think it's really, to me, where I have interesting conversations is setting the right expectations. So, you know, we have 10-plus channels that we're focused on social. It's not just Instagram. There's Facebook. There's Twitter. There's YouTube. There's all these other platforms. And so, yeah, we have a team of three doing that. Could a team of one do that? Probably not. We didn't do... (laughs) as much when we had a team of two as
1: we do now. So you have to pick your place.
2: Exactly. And so there's a lot of work involved. And the thing that's difficult about social media is it's really keeping up with the Joneses, is you need to post frequently to maintain that. Mm -hmm. That If you drop off for a week or two weeks or it doesn't become a priority with your staff and they don't post for three weeks, like you're out of the loop. You are no longer it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really setting the right expectation than being able to hit a consistency that's important. More so than other things. It's like, if Instagram's your only channel that you can do with your resources, you better be able to do it consistently. Because otherwise, there's no point in doing the, I post once and then three weeks later, I post again, three weeks later. That's not ever going to do anything for
1: you. But you know that friend who posts on Facebook every single meal they ate or jog they went on to and and you just sort of roll your eyes and scroll away yeah so i think there's a part of us and i would argue maybe even for the doctors and the practices we reach that well i don't want to be too persistent or too active because i'll look either not busy enough or i'll be that annoying person who shares every detail of their avocado toast
2: yeah Yeah, I think, so we kind of set a a once-a-day standard is kind of where we are. I think Instagram stories are a little different. I think there is value in the doctors showcasing kind of their personal life, that their patients engage quite well with that. But there's certainly like a limit to that, you know, and I think... An Instagram story at the very top, you'll see like how many stories and there's a little bar that shows you next, next, next. If that bar gets so small that you can't count how many stories are coming up, you're doing too many Instagram okay. stories.
1: That That's a great measure yeah. of your level of annoyance. Yes. Okay, let's, let's go back to Instagram. Why Instagram? Why have you focused there? You've mentioned 10 channels and we'll dabble a little in this conversation about those other places, but I know you've spent majority of the resources and time and energy on Instagram. Why Instagram in particular?
2: I think there's two main reasons. The first one being it's a visual platform, which our industry is a very visual industry. The before and after photos can be very powerful. The treatment videos can be very powerful and very educational. And it's built for that. Instagram is built to display that visual in a beautiful, engaging way. And then when we first started, we kind of analyzed all of our channels and went through them all. And the engagement was so much higher on Instagram. And we saw hey, there's something here. Like, this is where the people are. You know, on Facebook, maybe they're not as willing to engage with it because their friends and family are going to see it. On LinkedIn, they're not going to engage with it because their coworkers are going to see it. Mm -hmm. But on Instagram, they are much more free. And the engagement levels in terms of not just likes, but meaningful engagements, how many people are commenting on it, you know, really taking public kind of putting themselves in the public with it is so much higher on Instagram and the audience is just so much larger. So we spend time on Facebook and everywhere else as well, but the growth on Instagram is massive compared to those other channels.
1: Where doesn't it work? You described it sort of generically as positive for aesthetics, but there must be places and pockets where you're like, ooh. Yeah, there's no engagement around these topics or subject matters. Yeah, that's Twitter. It's easy answer. It's Twitter. Oh no, I meant on Instagram. Hold on, I want to talk about Twitter, but I know you. I know your feelings about Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> we will talk about that. But I want to know specifically on Instagram: Are there pockets within Instagram where, or areas that, gosh, you know, you could post all day about this, and you'll good luck in getting engagement?
2: Yeah, certain treatments will perform better. Some of it depends on kind of your specialty and the audience you try and build. For us, certainly facial treatments, body treatments do better than, you know, maybe like teeth, for example. Like, that's not going to do as well as some face treatment or a tummy tuck. A tummy tuck will do really well. Rhinoplasty will do really well. Those kind of transformations that are maybe more unexpected because they're not as familiar tend to do better for us because people are learning and they're engaging with it as they're learning. You know, people grow up knowing about braces. And so they're not as interested to see a a teeth transformation as they are, really something that they're like, wow, I didn't know this was a result. That's a really popular comment we get is someone tagging their friend and being like, hey, we need to look into this or hey, we should do this or I didn't know about this or this is... We got one the other day It was like, this must be that thing you were talking about and the person responded back and said, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, this is it. And so I think we have more success with maybe the lesser known things because we do focus on educating and kind of being transparent and kind of revealing this information giving this really look inside of these treatments that people don't maybe know as much about.
1: Got it. Got it. One thing that uh, strikes me is that on Instagram, you're going to see topics or conversations that people just simply find maybe are too racy. I'll just use that word. Maybe inappropriate or something they're uncomfortable with. Where's that line? I see doctors showing full on everything opened up and showing the surgery all the way down to, you know, covering up body parts with little pasties. pasties. (laughs) Do you think there is a a line? And if there is, how do you define that and divine that within your own practices or maybe recommend for doctors?
2: Yeah, we do what we jokingly call the bus test. So if you're on a bus, would you open Instagram and feel comfortable looking at our Instagram Mm -hmm. while you're on a bus or in a public place? Is this a Seattle
1: public bus or a greyhound?
2: Uh, Either way, either way. (laughs) If you're in a crowded place, would you open the account? And so that means for us that we don't do nudity outwardly. And so that everything will be clothed, there'll be no nudity on our account. We stay away from blood and graphic for the most part. Instagram will limit you as well there in terms of if you posted it, you can post it. It's not going to say no, but you're probably going to get a graphic content overlay or warning to where if someone saw your content, there'll be a shield up that they'll have to click through to see it. And that slows down engagement. Oh, for sure. If you're scrolling through and you know you see engaging photo, interesting photo, interesting photo, video, and then a big gray screen that's like click, you know, some yeah. you just scroll like right past. It. You're not gonna stop to see that. So we kind of just set it as nothing graphic or nothing nude. There are some exceptions in Instagram Story. We'll actually partner with doctors and have them take us inside surgery, but we preface all of that with warnings of hey, yeah, this is what you're gonna see. I think we don't want any surprise to anyone who follows us yeah. as like, they have expectations of what they're going to see. We keep them within those expectations.
1: Yeah, I posted on LinkedIn about the changes that are happening at Instagram. And we'll talk about the algorithmic view of Instagram. But I, I also spoke to sort of the, the perception or perspective they have internally, it appears from what they've said, that they have real concerns about protecting children and underage minors from content that, is inappropriate. And they actually have cited cosmetic surgery as one of the spaces they think are inappropriate for youth to see. I already posted about my perspective on that. What is your own opinion about what is their internal belief and where do you think they're going to go with it?
2: Yeah, Instagram feels very strongly about protecting their users in general. And so it's not just from cosmetic surgery or treatments. it's Mm -hmm. in general and one of the big things they're testing now hasn't fully rolled out is hiding like counts and they're hiding Mm -hmm. the like count because they don't want anyone to feel bullied that if you know you only had 22 likes on your post that I'm going to come over to your desk and be like, hey, Tom, you only had 22 likes. That's embarrassing. Yeah. So they're doing things that they think are in the best interest of protecting... You can be privately their... really embarrassed. Yes. <laughs> now I'll just say, and others, you know? Yeah. And so they really care about protecting. And so they have taken some strides recently on the influencer side, especially to make sure that, you know, they know that these people are influential, especially on young kids and they want that content to be legitimate and authentic and so they've taken strides there to kind of protect what you see and just protect what those people are able to post and so they're yeah. not posting things that are malicious or factually right. loose you know they they really advertise that they care about the well-being of their consumer more so than the person actually posting the content they want the person consuming to be protected versus the content creator
1: okay so but the doctors listening to this podcast Really want to know, or should want to know, where you think things are going to be a year from now. I'm saying a year because that seems like a long period of time from a social media perspective. Yeah, that's decades. Um, That's decades. So maybe you can bring it in a little bit sooner. Where are things going to land? Inside of Facebook, which is the owner of Instagram. What are they saying right now in meetings? You know, we don't have that insight direct, but indirectly.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean, we have some. We have reps at Facebook who we work with closely. Okay. And I think the biggest thing that's going to happen, or at least if I was going to predict it, there's very strict rules on the paid side and what you're allowed to do when you put promotional dollars on Instagram or Facebook. And I would be shocked if over the next six months, year, two years, whatever it is, that the organic ability doesn't start to mirror that paid ability. So, on paid, you can't promote before and after photos. You can't promote anything graphic and graphic meaning as simple as a needle. You can't show Botox, mm. right? You can't show needle. We've had a hydrofacial video, which most would oh, yeah. not seem to be very graphic, be flagged as being graphic. And so, it those, was an aggressive
1: facial. I just hope to <laughs>
2: it <know>. was. Yeah. <laughs> and so, those are all highly restricted on the paid side. And, historically, those two haven't fully overlapped, you know, that you could get away with more on the organic side than you could on the paid side. Obviously, we post before and afters almost every day without issue. If I was going to be a betting man, I would say that things will start to skew more towards those. They have those policies in place for yep. a reason on the paid side. And as they come under more scrutiny, especially from, you know, bigger audiences and all the political scrutiny they're under, that the organic side is going to start to mirror that paid side.
1: Yeah, we saw that for sure with Google and their algorithm. Early on, years and years ago, we were getting signals that from the advertising side, you know, for every photo, you have to say actual results may differ on a before and after photo. So indicating that perhaps the people at Google believe that before and after pictures are less reliable as information than other types of information.
2: Yeah, and I've had really interesting conversations with our Facebook reps To where I've said, you know, hey, our before and afters... So the main reason they have that policy against before and afters that they advertise is weight loss treatments, that people were posting fake weight loss pills saying you can lose 100 pounds with this pill. And so they banned all before and afters to basically prevent that.
1: Yeah, so it's another category's influence on the way, a broad brush rule that not necessarily may be appropriate, but perhaps isn't for... Cosmetic aesthetics, medical aesthetics.
2: Right. So I've actually taken some of our stuff and some of the posts we have from doctors and said, hey, look at this. This is not that. This is not some placebo pill. Mm-hmm. This is a very educational post that has, you know, thousands of engagements and comments. Like there's value to this post. And they will say, you know, to paraphrase, like, yeah, we agree there's value, but it's a before and after. So it's against policy.
1: Okay. So I have a friend who works at Facebook, pretty senior and I want her to listen to this part of the podcast. I'm just gonna say go to minute whatever. So what would you like to send a message to the folks inside of Facebook as well as Instagram?
2: I mean, I think Instagram and Facebook's goal is to add value to their consumers, that the people using their app gain value from the content you're posting. And so we add value, and a lot of doctors add value with the content they post. That they're not, you know, doing anything deceitful, they're not tricking anyone, that they're really educating, that they're really informing, that they're really doing a service to that consumer. And we see it with our engagement rates. We have massive amounts, and we have posts with thousands and tens of thousands of likes or comments or engagements. From real people. Yes. And so people want this content. There's definitely a signal Mm. that there's a need for this content and a want. And I think, you know, it's hard, yes, like, maybe this person's doing it wrong and we're doing it right or whatever it is, but I do think it can't be a broad stroke of just, like, all before and afters are bad. That's not the case, and we know that's not the case. We have thousands of doctors who really are doing a really good service by posting these, especially in Instagram where there's a lot of faking going on and a lot of, you know, we've seen news articles where it's like... a. Person claims to be a doctor, isn't a doctor, is doing Botox and goes to jail for it. Like we should value, and Instagram should value those actually credentialed resources that are posting real, factual information about these
1: things. Okay, I'm gonna zip that up and send it to her. Great, if you could
2: get that done, my (laughs) life will be much easier. So
1: appreciate it. Well, you know, it takes a, a conversation for others to really understand. You know how these other businesses and other industries and other areas of medicine work, and this is a particularly interesting one that they probably have not spent a lot of time asking questions and and maybe we can get them to do that. i really want to talk about you teased out the fake thing and faking it on instagram is something i've written about but i i want to hold that for a moment and go back to some of the research that we do at real self and your team leads which is around what we call the real self social index Mm -hmm. and i'll let you describe the real self social index and i'd ask you just give a real brief description of it and then I want to jump right into what are you seeing here and now as we sit in March 2020 and the trends that you're detecting and finding that can inform how doctors look at their own Instagram marketing and efforts.
2: Yeah, so the Real Self Social Index is a list of 2,300 doctor and plastic surgeon and facial plastic surgeon, dermatologist Instagram accounts that we track and monitor on a monthly basis. So we're looking for... Trends in engagements, trends in content, trends in really anything that's happening, both from an industry perspective of maybe, you know, this treatment is doing better on Instagram, but then also at the kind of bigger level of like Instagram algorithm is changing or performance is up or down across these accounts. So we've tracked 2,300 accounts kind of just in general performance across Instagram.
1: Great. How'd you come up with that number, 2,300? Is there magic to that number? Is it going to change?
2: There is, I don't know if I'd call it magic, but there is a lot of thought into that number. So we initially compiled a list of about 8,000 accounts that include, you know, basically anyone in the industry. And then we've trimmed it down. As I mentioned before, there are some, there's some faking issues to where I think there's a lot of manipulation in follower accounts and engagement in our industry And so I've kind of gotten it down and we've worked really hard to get it to a list that I would trust and think is really credible because we're looking for actual data and insights and not just, oh, this doctor bought 100,000 this month so it spiked all the numbers. We're really... We've cleaned it up a lot, is what I'd say, and so fewer distortions,
1: more accurate representation of the trends. Yep,
2: and we also want you know doctors who engage, right? Like that's yep. part of it. And so doctors who haven't posted in three months, will remove them from right. the index because they're not adding any value. So it's really trying to look hmm. at accounts that are legitimate, that are active, that are really trying on Instagram, and seeing what they're doing, and then also seeing just the health of the industry on Instagram as a whole.
1: Yeah, I'd love to see you get more attention to the the index itself and the industry because. I do think it's a sort of a bellwether of, well, what's happening and a benchmark on your own abilities to engage audiences. So yeah. tell me about going to the March 2020 view of looking back, both when you started the index about eight months ago. So we don't quite have year-over-year data, but it's coming soon. Yeah, What are you seeing trend-wise and how would you just capture that? Maybe a few quick points. We'll always post about it in LinkedIn and other places, but just what's your summary view?
2: Yeah, I think it was interesting because when we looked at it, you know, eight months ago or longer, the industry on Instagram as a whole looked a lot like our personal account as a whole, just in a smaller version. It was all growing. It wasn't growing as fast as our account was growing, but there was lots of growth. There's lots of improvement. Every month you would see, we track how many posts that group of 2,300 accounts have posted. You'd see more posts every month. They were Doctors are clearly jumping on the Instagram train. You could see it. Like each month there was a thousand more posts from that group or more than that even. Engagements were growing. Accounts were growing. We had... Some accounts go from 5,000 followers, you know, jumping up to 50,000 followers and really starting to see growth. Then in July, Instagram rolled out a across-the-board algorithm change that wasn't just for aesthetics or cosmetics. It was all accounts that really changed the dynamic of Instagram, hmm. changed success on Instagram considerably. They haven't really talked about exactly what it was, but there's clearly an algorithm change that just changed the weighting of, you know, what does a like mean, what does a comment mean, all that kind of stuff. And in that time frame, so it's eight months or seven months, the performance has dropped considerably from where it was. And so engagements are 20% lower for that group of 23, for the Real Self Social Index. We've seen those accounts drop 20% engagements. Their video views, everyone, you know, loves to say for the last five years, like, Pivot to video. Video is everything. Media companies are ditching written content and only doing video. And so everyone kind of over indexed on video. So on Instagram, that social index group, they've dropped 30% on their video views. So the same videos are getting 30% less attention. And then the growth is really where it's happened. So we were seeing, you know, we've grown considerably. We talked about from 5,000 to 219,000. The doctor accounts were growing well too. And they still are growing, but much less. So, average monthly growth is down 40% since June. For the index. June. Yep. Yeah, in the mm-hmm. index of that group. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, that's a huge deal, especially for the accounts that are late to adopt. You know, we've been really focused on Instagram for three years. But if a lot of doctors are jumping on the last year, last six months saying, okay, now it's time for me to get here. Like, we've done Facebook before. Like, now let's get on Instagram. And growing is still going to happen, but it's much harder if you're not established. So that's kind of where we're seeing is the biggest impact is those accounts that are maybe late to the game are going to really struggle to really gain sort of notoriety and following at this point with Hmm. how the change of impact everybody.
1: This is a good opportunity for me to switch back to a few of the other channels that exist out there. Where else are you in your team spending time? And you mentioned earlier Twitter is, oh, terrible, terrible, terrible. But Twitter is a big... Big entity. I mean, I don't know how many monthly active users there, but it's massive. Yeah, we have a president who talks about it and uses it every day, every moment. So, yeah.
2: Twitter is great for news and great for live in the moment. Twitter is fantastic for in the moment. Plastic surgery and cosmetic decisions are not necessarily in the moment. They're long researched processes that people go through. You know, weeks, months, years, even to kind of research. And so, Twitter is not the platform for this. It's not a visual medium. It's really not. We as a team, are obviously focused on Instagram. And then on top of Instagram, we treat Instagram as twofold. There's Instagram, and then there's Instagram Stories, which are part of Instagram, but different content works there. We treat it as a different channel for the most part. So we have a different Instagram Story strategy than we do for our our grid account. So we're focused on those two. We are obviously focused on Facebook. Facebook is still, even if you don't see the massive numbers of engagements on Facebook, Facebook's still a really big traffic driver. Because even if people won't, outwardly engage or they're not going to reshare a post about, you know, getting a rhinoplasty in their feed with their friends and family, they will click that post and they'll do their research from that post. So it's kind of almost like a, a dark audience to where they're there, mm-hmm. but they may not seem like they're there. So Facebook's a huge priority. And then we're across the board. You know, we are in, on YouTube, on Pinterest. We you know have a presence on LinkedIn. We are kind of all over the place. And then I think the key is, with that in mind, we have a different content strategy for each channel because they are all so very different.
1: Great. I have to back you up to something you said about Twitter, where you referenced there's actually a journey a consumer goes through. What that evoked in my mind was that I've heard doctors say who are active on Instagram, oh, I get all my patients from Instagram now. Mm can indeed a doctor get 100% of their patients just from Instagram or is it more nuanced? I think you're gonna answer door two, not door one, but.
2: (laughs) Yeah, a lot of our Instagram audience is, our Instagram is their first exposure to whatever treatment they're seeing. So, if they're seeing a tummy tuck, that's the first time they even knew what a tummy tuck meant. They never heard those words before. Mm -hmm. And so, it's very much their first impression of cosmetics or of that treatment. And then they go to Real Self and they do their research or wherever they do their research. And they read and they look around. And then they come back. So, they kind of use Instagram as their beginning and their end. So, what we'll see is we'll see someone who will say... We'll get a direct message, right? And it'll say, hey, I didn't even know what this treatment was. How can I learn more about a mommy makeover? And we'll link them to our mommy makeover guide on RealSelf. And then in six months or three weeks or a week, whatever it is, we'll see another DM from that person that says, hey, where's a good doctor for mommy makeover (laughs) in Los Angeles? Mm -hmm. So then we'll link them to the doctor finder on RealSelf. But we do see a lot of that. So in my conversations with doctors, they'll say, oh, yeah, all my patients have seen my Instagram. That doesn't mean that they learned about you on Instagram. It's a totally natural step to do your research. And then a part of that research is seeing their Instagram. But most that we're seeing, at least in the, hundreds of DMs that we get every week are not at that stage to start. That they're not like, hey, I was doing my research on Instagram. It's that they were exposed to it at some point, and then before they come in for a consult, yeah, they probably have looked up the doctor and seen them on Instagram, but they're not actually generating from Instagram. Instagram really brings in that first impression, first awareness at the very top for the most part.
1: Great. Yeah, I see doctors all the time on my Instagram feed, and I was just curious... Who do you, I have my own sort of favorites in terms of the quality of postings and, and so forth, but you must have a few, one, two, or three doctors who you can point to and say, yeah, they're, they're worthy of other doctors looking at and saying, wow, how do I improve the quality of my content? How do I measure success? Any come to mind?
2: Yeah, I think, so there's a few interesting ones. One that I think is probably one of the most interesting just because he really didn't do it with a team, he didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be huge on Instagram and I'm going to go invest this huge thing as Dr. Portuis here in Seattle to where he really was just testing and learning what we do, right? Like we test a bunch of content. We'll post new types of content. We just try and find what that audience really wants. And he started posting rhinoplasty reveal videos where he took off the cast. At that point, really, no one was doing that. It was kind of a new thing. And I remember he he called me and he's like, hey, my video i think he had maybe 2000 followers maybe even less maybe a thousand at this point he said my video just got 300 views you should repost it and i was like 300 views like at this point we were 150k maybe and i mean 300 views is 2 minutes So I was like, 300 views, what are you talking about? So then I started looking and he just kept doing them, kept getting good response. And now, I mean, he's over 50,000 followers now Mm -hmm. with this really large rhinoplasty audience with these reveal videos. And he's adapted new things and really done everything. But he's such a good example to me of someone who just like test and learn. There's no, you know, one size fits all. It's really about what your practice is about, what your content is about, what your specialty is, what you want to be about. And it worked out really, really well for him. You know, and so he really has this thing where he's grown with this new kind of content. I think there's a lot of doctors who then do content really well. I think Dr. Devgan in New York does really well. Dr. Emmer has a very high production level in Los Angeles to where his content looks like it's a movie sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And so there's various levels of investment they take. I think the ones who do the best are the ones... Who have a consistent strategy that this is what I'm going for, that, you know, whether it's before and afters or it's videos, but when I shoot a video, it looks like this. When we take a photo, it looks like this. And there's consistency. I think that's the biggest thing to me is doctors who can do consistency. Cause we see from our audience, when there's not consistency, of how angry our audience gets. And by consistency, I mean lighting, I mean, posture, I mean, everything down from haircut to makeup to all those things are so important. So when they take photos, the doctors I like the most are the ones who you take a photo and you're like, oh yeah, that's the same person. You should never question that. And some don't do that to where we sit and we look and we're like, is that the same person? But I mean, we have, you know, if we post a photo and it's clearly the same person, it's clearly a normal result but she's wearing eye makeup in the after photo. Even if it wasn't like an eyelid surgery, we still have people comment like, well, she's in makeup in the second one. So I think the doctors I personally like the most are the ones who really understand that and aren't trying to add every bell and whistle and manipulate the content, but are really posting authentic, real quality content.
1: Yeah, that's something I find quite, oh, I don't know, positive that's associated with social media is that I see lots of commenting that individuals are saying, Wait a second, I want to see a photo that doesn't look like it's been cast in different lighting or with different jewelry on or whatever it may be. Yeah. And, you know, I think at RealSelf, we've always had this belief that at the heart of it is authenticity that's going to win the end of the day. And it's interesting to see that that trend, you know, your your 2300 index, your RealSelf social index may not show that but I think underlying the successful accounts is got to be some element of, these are deeply authentic presenters of information. Yeah, And you may disagree with the the message as a doctor, you don't necessarily agree, but to their audience, like you said, consistent and interesting and authentic. Yeah, I, I think
2: one of the most interesting things that we've seen on Instagram is, you think of Instagram and a lot of people will be like, oh, professional photos, photo studio, you know, filtered, whatever, And some of our best content is UGC, a consumer... Wait,
1: UGC. (laughs) So a
2: consumer on our site who leaves a review... User-generated content. Yeah, exactly. So it's real self community members who post their review and they take their after photo in the mirror, right? A mirror selfie. The mirror's dirty. You think like, oh, I would never post that from a professional account. And that kind of content has performed better than almost any kind of content at times. Like we've had... Uh, I always joke with my team, but we have these like car selfies to where I don't know why it's so common, but a lot of people after they get a procedure, especially on their face, and they upload their review, we'll take a photo in their car.
1: It's always okay, in the you're, car. You're starting to give away our in you know, internal yeah. secrets, which yeah. I appreciate. My audience, there you go. There's a little insider. Yeah.
2: So it's but. always these car photos. And you think, like, <laughs> I'm not gonna post their car photo, but we do these journey posts and the people are like, thanks for sharing this. Like yeah. I love this authentic look. So I think that's just part of it is you know, you don't have to overthink the content. It really is just about being authentic in the content.
1: Okay, I have a few more questions. I know you need to get back to managing hundreds of thousands of of, of postings and commentary <laughs> and all this sort of stuff that happens in your life. But I have got to get a, a couple quick wins for my audience. Okay, Fake followers, So tempting. I can just go out buy fifty thousand followers today, you know on this laptop sitting in front of me in what? Two minutes? Yeah, less than. yeah, you know, just as long as it takes to type in a credit card number, yep. right? So why shouldn't I? I would love to look more famous in front of my peers and in front of my customers.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is it's just a look. You're never going to generate any business from it. And then in the algorithm, your performance will never... You'll never have good success because the algorithm will say... Tom has 50,000 followers and gets two engagements. Like, wow, his content must be terrible. Let's drop him to the bottom. So you'll never have any actual business impact. And then the most embarrassing thing is Instagram is constantly purging those accounts. So the accounts that you buy when you buy fake followers is some content farm with a million phones just clicking follow. And Instagram every day is purging those, recognizing bots and purging them. So when people, when accounts buy fake followers, they get this huge one-day jump. So you go from 1,000 to 50,000 in one day. And then every day after that, your numbers are red. So you went from 50,000 to now 48, 46, 42, 41, and you just go down. So you either have to keep buying those followers, or you know, in six months, you'll go from 50,000 to 8,000. And it's really embarrassing.
1: So and you're in so, an expense, well, maybe not super expensive, but you're in a treadmill where you're spending money just to stay and in the same place. It is
2: so easy to recognize. There's a million tools online, like socialblade.com. Mm-hmm. And you can type in any account and you can see their growth. And we'll do it and you can see, you know, oh, 40,000 on that day. That doesn't seem very... And then it's just red numbers after that.
1: So it's really easy to spot and it really doesn't do anything for your business. Okay, let's talk about the future. I tried to get you to do a little bit of prediction around Instagram, Facebook, where they're headed. And I assert you did a nice job answering it. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll let the audience decide. but And we'll see how you did on that prediction. Yeah. In the New York Times, just a few weeks ago, there was an article about TikTok, and I was waiting for this. I knew it was going to come out. Plastic surgeons using TikTok. I mean, it's tempting. It's the fastest growing social network in the world. I don't know how many people are on it, but, you know, it's in the news all the time. When I'm on Reddit, I see TikTok videos reposted there. So it's become a real thing. And I'm sure the folks at Instagram are quite concerned or trying to buy them, one of the two. But what do you think about TikTok as it relates to a plastic surgeon or cosmetic practice and and its relevance?
2: Yeah, so I I relate TikTok the same as I do Snapchat, for the most part, to where I mentioned all the platforms we were on earlier, and two I did not say were TikTok and Snapchat. Primarily for a couple reasons, but the big one is the audience is very, very, very young. So on TikTok, 70% of the audience is 24 years or younger, and I think it's 30% of that is 17 or younger. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you think about, we talked about bandwidth and resources to manage all these social channels before. Why would I put any resources into a channel where it's a lot of teens who are not our target audience, who are not going to be consumers in the near future? And so... To me, it's not a right platform. It's also a very short-term engagement platform. What I mean by that is the videos are six, seven, eight seconds long. They're very, very short. I can't properly tell yeah. or educate in that time frame, you know. And so, what you end up doing is really, you know, not valuable content. You create this content that's not valuable for an audience that you don't want to attract. So they're really. I mean, we will park accounts so no one takes real self and goes and does anything weird with it, but we don't actually invest any time or resources into TikTok or Snapchat.
1: What about other predictions, forecasts you have for social media in general? Anything else that we haven't referenced or mentioned?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I definitely think the authentic content thing is going to continue to be big, especially on Instagram as they get more restrictive. I think to a lot of the vanity metrics and of the vanity numbers are going to go away. You know, everyone claims they're an Instagram influencer right now. Like, you'll hear that all. of, Oh, yeah, I'm an influencer. And I think some of that's true. There are certainly influencers, but a lot of it's just a vanity thing where they bought followers or whatever. They can't drive results. And I think as it goes, we're going to see more of those metrics become from behind the curtain to in front of the curtain. Instagram's taken steps to where influencers can better share their metrics with brands before brands partner with them. I think it's just gonna be more and more to where they really want these platforms to be transparent and they really don't want this kind of, oh, I'm an influencer, or I'm this, or I'm that, or I'm buying followers. I think we're gonna see bigger penalties for buying followers. I think they are really gonna start building and all the channels are gonna start building in trust and authentic content And just being transparent is going to be a huge part moving forward.
1: Yeah. Last week or a couple of weeks ago, you gave me this tip that I shared with doctors recently on the podium, which was, hey, an influencer comes in, quote unquote, influencer comes into your practice saying, I want free stuff. Yeah. Has anybody gotten that before? I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Happens all the time. Probably in every business, sandwich shops included. Totally. Everywhere. So your advice was what to me? If somebody comes into a practice saying, I'm an influencer, I want free stuff, what do you think a doctor should say to that person?
2: I mean, I think the first thing we try and identify is, one, are they a brand fit? Because, okay, great, they'll you know post on their account for free stuff, right? Do I actually want them to post on their account? Like, is that a valuable thing to me? I think that's step one. Who follows them. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And, you know, are they the right message and all of that? I think number two is like, you have to actually measure that influence so when people say they're an influencer does that mean they just get a lot of likes and they can't drive anything or does that mean that people will follow them that if they post and say jump people will jump you know i think that's the biggest thing is like what is their actual influence and why you know that's that's the third part is are they known for anything are they are they big on multiple channels you know do they have a hundred thousand followers on instagram and four on Facebook and none on YouTube? Or are they? have they been yeah. daily YouTube posting for the last year? And they're huge in multiple places. So I, we really vet them out for a lot of reasons, but I think it all comes down to like, okay, you have influence, why? And then what is your actual
1: influence when we vet? Excellent, that was really helpful tips. One of the things I just wanna wrap up here is asking you a question that I wanna ask every guest. I've tried to get you in this conversation to give us some tips and so forth, but I really think doctors also want to know, before I let you walk out the door, is there a single metric that a doctor can look at to know if they're having success, if they're doing the right things, or is it always going to be a collection of information or data points and looking at that in aggregate?
2: Yeah, I think it's really easy that it's engagement rate I mean, you can have a million followers, you can have a thousand followers. If those followers don't engage with you, they don't like, they don't comment, they don't click your links, they don't actually engage, they don't mean anything. You can have a million followers who don't take any action. It's not valuable to your business. It's not valuable to anything really. So we we look at engagement rate all back to that whole audience development thing of like, let's create the best piece of content that our audience actually wants. How do you determine what your audience actually wants? You see what they engage with. So we look at that the most of, you know, if we post something, how does it perform? How do people engage with it? Are they commenting on it? Because that might be different than if they're just liking it. You know, if we get something with a lot of comments, that might be a better signal that that's the kind of content they're looking for. So definitely engagement rate. There's a million stats you can look at, but if i only had one, it would that's what it would be.
1: Great. Well, Mark Sandrider is the head of digital marketing for Real Self. I want to thank you so much for being a guest. Yeah. And if folks have questions for you afterwards, is there any place they can go? Any email address that they can send to, or is that something you like to keep secret? <laughs> or do you just recommend they find Real Self on Instagram and post a DM? Definitely follow us on Instagram. That's step one. And then if they
2: have questions, or actually would like to participate in the Real Self Social Index, you know they can become one of Part that of 2,300 yeah. Social Index at RealSelf.com is a great email to reach out to, and then we can kind of go from there. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Real Self University podcast. The mission of Real Self is to create a world where every investment in modern beauty is worth it. And Real Self University is here to help aesthetic professionals do just that. The mission of our podcast is to uncover stories and data from our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. If you'd like to be a guest on the Real Self University podcast, have feedback or questions, email university at realself.com. Support us and help us keep this effort going by subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about becoming Real Self verified, go to realself.com slash network and enter referral code podcast to receive 50% off your first full month of Real Self Spotlights. I'm your host and producer, Eva Shea. Our post production is by Daniel Cruiser. All of our learning and practice development resources are available on demand at university.realself.com.